Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Thanks very much, Keith. Usually I have a platform that can leave the legs shaking behind here, but I see you've got this all changed now, which isn't just straightforward. How do you start your conversations? Usually, around Fermanagh, where I'm from, it's always about the weather because you don't know what you're going to do until you find out if it's raining or not. Uh, it's a difficulty. But here's the way we normally start off. How you doing? What about you? How's things? What's the crack? Are you really interested in finding that out when you ask that? I don't think so. Not half time. And what's the standard answers? What's the standard answer? Yeah. Dead on. I like that. I'm all right. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Sticking out. There's one there. Fine. Okay. Here's the classic. Not too bad. Not too bad. I walked into where I was working at one stage, and this American colleague came to me and says, How's things today, George? I said, It's not too bad. What does that mean, George? You're teetering on the edge of falling over? What's going on? Are you real good or are you real bad? We always, we don't go to extremes. We always go along the lines that we just have a very even plane that we come across, an even plane. But here's the problem. You see, if you ask that question and somebody starts offloading on you all the problems that they have, what's the first thing that comes into your head? I wish I'd never asked that question. <laughs> Might be one thing. Or you could be standing there nervously thinking to yourself, how am I going to talk to this guy after what he's just offloaded on me? You're just nervous about it and you don't know what to say or do. But that's the way we are. And I don't think we ever tell the truth. We're not truthful when we're asking the question and we're definitely not truthful when we're given the answer because you're not going to tell anybody your business. We're funny that way. But here's the thing, Irish people, Northern Irish people in particular, understand that life is full of ups and downs. We just don't want to tell you that. Facebook world does not exist in Jesus' world. George and Ina having wonderful dinner down at the poacher's pocket. Question, if it's such a wonderful time with your wife, why are you not talking to her and putting the phone down? Or the other thing, the one thing that really gets me is when they take a picture of the food and you think to yourself, what is going wrong with you? If it's that good, eat it before it gets cold and get on with it. But that's the way we are. We don't live in this world. It's full of ups and downs. And that very, very famous Irish philosopher, Van Morrison, wrote this. When it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, There'll be days like this. When everything falls into place like the flick of a switch, well, my mama told me there'd be days like this. And the second verse then goes on to say, when you don't need to worry, there'll be days like this. When no one's in a hurry, there'll be days like this. When you don't get betrayed by that old Judas kiss, oh, my mama told me there'll be days like this. And even Ronan Keaton turned out and he said, you know what, life's a roller coaster and you've just got to ride it. We understand in Northern Ireland what life is all about. And it's not easy, no matter who you are. 
But I want to talk to you tonight about the Lord Jesus. And I want to talk to you about how he deals with individuals. We often thank the Lord Jesus for coming into this world and going to the cross to die for us. But I'm really so grateful that he came into this world to show us what God is like in the way that he deals with people. And I'm going to be reading from uh, the Bible, from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 on. Daniel, I'll not be doing any flicking. I'll refer to a verse and you'll have it here. Okay? Good lad. There's a couple of characters that Jesus deals with in this chapter. And I want to see you how lovely Jesus is and how he deals with people. It's really, really important that we understand this. In verse 21, we find this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jesus gets off a boat. As soon as he comes off, a full-blown crowd in front of him. Verse 22. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. The important thing you've got into your head, first of all, is Jairus is the leader of the local synagogue. This was not an easy thing for him to do, to come and talk to Jesus. Because all the religious leaders hated him. Because the way that he was speaking to people and the way he was dealing with people was cutting them out. They weren't going to make as much money. They weren't going to have the same position in society. And this was a real problem to them. So for Jairus to come and speak to Jesus in front of all these people was a big, big thing for him to do. And the first thing you understand about this is in a crisis, position does not mean anything to you. It doesn't help you. Now, how did Jesus react to this? I love this. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. This is what you've got to understand. Jesus heard him. He didn't ask any stupid questions. He didn't say, what age is the youngster? How far is it away? When did you first get sick? The text actually says that he promptly went with him. He went with him right away. I get really frustrated because I hate it when people don't hear me. And I'm not talking about my voice. But when you're actually trying to get something across and you're looking for help and you can't get it, it's really, really frustrating. I've had recent, uh, recent experience with the bereavement support team from the bank. They have no idea what support is and they have no idea of bereavement, trust me. Because you're trying to get through to them that what needs to happen is there's money needs to come from the bank to pay for a funeral. You're trying to tell them Listen, we've only got so many weeks to do this. And you're not paying it out. And then to talk to you about processes and about this and that and the other. And the frustrating thing is they're not listening. They don't hear what you're actually saying. They have absolutely no interest in what you have to say. They're not hearing you properly and they can't help. This is lovely. Jesus heard him and promptly moved to help him out. There then is a, an interlude where Jesus deals with somebody else in verses 25 to 34. 
And I'll just go through this. I sort of I shortened this, by the way. I shortened this because she told me there was 15 to 20 minutes, so it's shortened. <laughs> so here's the thing. He starts dealing with another lady. In verse 25, we find what her problem is. She's had a constant bleed for 12 years. Put yourself in her shoes. If you're losing blood, you've no energy. If you're losing blood, it's frustrating. It says then in the next few verses that she went to every doctor under the sun and nobody could help her. So she's weak. She's frustrated. She's got real difficulties. And she approaches Jesus. And she's heard about Jesus. She's heard about what he's done. And in her head, she gets it into her head that what she's going to do is, if I could only just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. That's what's in her head. So what does she do? She goes and grabs the end of Jesus' garment. And in verse 29, we see the power of the Lord Jesus because she was healed immediately. She understood that the bleed that had taken place had stopped and she was completely well. There was none of this bed rest nonsense and it's probably only a virus. It was absolutely healed on the moment. And then Jesus in verse 30 asked the weirdest question I can ever think of. Who touched me? You're standing in a crowd of people <coughs> running past you. And he says, who touched me? There's probably about 100 people have brushed past him. Somebody's tripped over somebody behind and nudged into his back. And he says, who touched me? I find that a really strange question. And the second reason I find it strange is this is Jesus, the Son of God. He knows fine well who has touched him. But he still asks that question. So why did he ask that question? To understand that, you've got to understand the Jewish culture. When a lady was going through her monthly cycle, she was considered unclean. This woman has had a bleed for 12 years. She not only has had to deal with weakness, frustration, tiredness, inability to do the things that other people can do, frustration in that nobody's able to help her, but she's had to deal with the fact that people consider her unclean and actually don't go near her, which is really, really sad. So Jesus asked, who touched me? And then we find this lovely wee portion in verse 34. And it says this, daughter, now, get this into your head first of all. This lady reluctantly came forward Jesus asked who touched. He's looking around the whole crowd. Nobody's coming forward. It's a nerve-wracking experience to come out in front of a crowd and say, actually, it was me touched you. She probably thought she was in some sort of trouble. The first thing Jesus says to her tenderly is, daughter. He treated her as one of his own family. And the next thing he says to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, you're suffering is over. So why did Jesus ask who touched him? The reason he asked who touched him was that she could come forward and in front of all of this crowd of people, Jesus could say, you are completely healed. That meant 
that nobody would consider her unclean and her shame was taken away. Who wouldn't want to know somebody like this? Tender, sensitive, understanding of that individual and her individual need. Isn't that just beautiful? And then we come back to poor Jairus. I want you to think about this. Nothing ever happens in Jesus' world by accident. So when you're going through the trials of life, think about that. There are no accidents. And we come here in verse 35, and we find this. While he was speaking to her, i.e. Jesus speaking to the lady, messengers arise from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Put yourself in that position. I want to tell you that first of all, Jesus heard. Secondly, Jesus saw. He saw the face of the man when he got the news. He saw the face drop. He could see the disappointment. It's as if the whole world had fallen apart from him. And he saw it in the eyes and in the face of the man that was there. And he turns around and he says to him a very strange thing. It's as if Jesus comes alongside him and puts his arm around him and he says this in verse 36. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Now I don't know about you, but that's a big ask after the news that he's just got. But guess what? Nothing ever happens by accident in Jesus' world. This man had the privilege of seeing a lady who'd had a bleed for 12 years just getting healed. He needed to see that so that he could have the faith that he required to go on further with the Lord Jesus. There are no accidents. But isn't it lovely that you have Jesus who will literally put his arm around you and said, don't worry, just have faith. And then we continue with this story. And in verses 37 and verse 40, there are two things that I find very, very interesting. In verse 37, Jesus said, Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except his disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now, this is what I'm saying about the individual. Jesus is not a showman. He's not going to do magic tricks in front of crowds. That's not his business. He didn't want the crowd with him. Who was he interested in? He was interested in Jairus and his daughter. The crowd didn't matter. He was on a mission. He'd heard the man. He'd saw the man. And he started on his journey with him. He wanted no crowd. Verse 40, when he arrives at the house, they have the traditional mourners in the house. I don't know how real they were or whether they were just there for the supper and the tea. I hope you're not just for that tonight, by the way. Um, but anyway, he went in there and he told them, first of all, that the, the girl is not dead. She's just asleep and started laughing at him. And verse 40, we find the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. He got rid of the crowd. He had no crowd following him. He cleared everybody out of the house. This was not about the crowd. This is about the individual Jairus and his daughter. Nobody else needed to be part of it. And then what we find then is in, in verse 40 again. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. 
Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why did he want the mother and father in the room? There's parents here. Why would you want to be there with your child? Yeah. So it doesn't look a bit weird, is right? Can you imagine a 12-year-old child waking up and seeing three or four complete strangers in the room with her? How do you think she's going to react? Eh? Not going to be too happy. The child might die of shock after she came back. Only joking. But do you understand what I mean? The sensitivity of the Lord Jesus. Mum and Dad, I want you in the room with me. The disciples need to be here to witness this. But listen, I need you in the room with me. When that wee child wakes up, she's got to see her mum and dad. Do you see the sensitivity of the Lord Jesus in this particular situation? So then we come to verses 41 and 42. And it's the, the little child. And he says, he's uh, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitakum, which means little girl, get up. Now, I looked up the original in this, and I thought this was lovely. That, that word actually means little lamb. Now, I can't think of anything more difficult or no, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Give me a word. Tender. That's the word I'm looking for. Than a little lamb. He says, little lamb, get up. Tenderness of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Little lamb, get up. And we see the power of the Lord Jesus in this, verse 42. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. Now, if a doctor comes to the house and he gives you some medicine or something, they'll usually tell you, bed rest for about seven days, get plenty of fluids in, do all the bits and pieces. The power of the Lord Jesus in this situation meant she got up and she walked around. No bed rest. No alternative things that are required. The healing was complete at that particular time. The power of the Lord Jesus. We've seen him hearing people. We see him seeing people. We see his tenderness. We see his sensitivity. We see the fact that he's not a crowd pleaser. He's not there for show. He's there interested in the individual only. And I love this wee bit here. You can imagine the situation if you were in this particular position. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. That's the mum and dad. Would you be? Where would your head be at that particular time? Your child has just come back to life. The child that you thought you'd lost has just come back to life. Where would your head be? Well, I'd be in total shock. I don't know about you, but I'd be all over the place. Jesus understands that. He understands they're in shock. But he also understands that this wee lassie has been lying here for... I don't know how many days since she had or hadn't had it indeed. So he turns around and says to them, Jesus gave them strict orders in verse 43 not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> Get the wee girl something to eat. Practicality of the Lord Jesus. Is this not somebody that you would want to know? It's somebody that I would want to know. And I would suggest it's somebody that you want to know. He's interested in you. He's interested in the individual. He's not worried about the crowds. He hears you. He sees you. He's sensitive to you. He's tender. He's powerful and can change situations. And he's practical. There's so many wallies running around this world. And when the practical days, things of everyday life, 
They haven't got a clue how to deal with them whatsoever. The Lord Jesus knows exactly how to deal with people in all the situations of life they're in. So how do you get to know this Jesus? How do you get to know this Jesus? The interesting word that's common in both these stories is in verse 34 and verse 36. In verse 34 it says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And then in verse 36, Don't be afraid, just have faith. So what does faith mean? The English Dictionary tells us that uh, faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Jesus is interested in you as an individual and he wants a relationship with you. For any relationship to work, there has to be something in common. All of you that are going to go dating, okay? Something in common, otherwise it doesn't work, all right? Has to be something in common. Here's a problem. It's already been quoted tonight, Romans 3 and 23. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He's interested in you as an individual. He wants to be close to you, but there's a barrier. The barrier is your sinful life. Now, Jesus takes things personally. Right? So if you're talking about your neighbor, that's somebody that God has created. So you're sinning against God. If you're going to work and you're claiming over time that you haven't worked, that's your boss. Well, that's somebody that God's created. You're sinning against God. All of those things that you do that you know are wrong because you've got a conscience that's been given to you, those are all sins against God. And he's a problem in that he can't come close to you in a relationship and be really close to you if all these things are a barrier for him getting close to you. But he made a way for this to be sorted out. John 3 and 16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes or trusts or who has faith in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, if somebody steals your car and he's caught by the police, what do you expect? Well, hopefully he'll get the car back. Yeah. It might be only bits of it coming back, but uh, we'd see. But when you expect him to be punished, and you'll be really cross if he's not. Your children, this is a family service. Did anybody in this room ever have to teach the child to do something wrong? It's in their DNA. That's who they are. I remember our Julie at 10 months. 10 months in a walkie. Don't go near that fire, you get burnt. Two minutes later, I looked at her going towards the fire and looking behind to see where I was before she went in. It's in their DNA from a very young age. They always do wrong things. And as a good, sensible, responsible parent, when you're training them to be an adult, because if you don't get them sorted out in the first number of years, by 16, 17, you've lost control and you're not in charge of your own house. But the reason why you punish them is so that they know what is wrong and you're also being helpful to them so that they can train to be an adult. Jesus, because of our sin, should punish us for the wrong things that we've done. But he's made a way to change that round. He went to the cross 
and he took the punishment that we deserved in his own body on the cross. Our part then, Jesus has done his part, but he's given us free will. He's given us free will. We have a choice to make. You either accept him or you reject him. Our part is this. If you've fallen out with your wife, how do you get it back together again? The big word sorry is always helpful. But there's no point in saying sorry if you don't mean it. I've seen kids and you've said to them, now, listen, you say sorry to your sister for what you've done there. Sorry. You know it's not meant. All right? We have to say sorry for the sins that we've done wrong, but the sorry that we say is this, we're sorry for the wrong we've done and we don't want to do them again. We want to change our lives around. We want to turn and go a different direction. We want to repent. And we've got to say sorry to the Lord Jesus for the wrong things that we have done. The second thing we need to say is thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross to pay the price of my sin, that you were prepared to take the punishment that I deserved. Thank you so much for making this possible for me. And the last thing we have to say is please, Please come into my life, take control of it, and help me in the every days of life that are always up and down. My experience is very simple. When I was a, a, a young person, I'd heard the gospel many times, uh, right over the top of my head, interested, not interested. And then one day I was sitting in a meeting, and I don't know why, but the preacher said this thing. He says, you can get saved at any time, even in this meeting. That's what I remember him saying. And it was like a voice speaking in my head saying, George, this is your time. This is the time for you to put your trust in Christ, which I did. If you're sitting here tonight and the Lord's speaking to you, it'll be like a voice in your head. I always think of the old, the old Tom and Jerry sketches, you know, where Tom's running around and he's got a guy with a harp on his shoulder telling him how to do right. And the guy on the shoulder with a fork telling him how to do wrong. And he's caught between the two. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But the point I'm trying to say to you is it'll be like a voice speaking in your head. And if the Lord's speaking to you, don't ignore it. And you can say to me, well, right, George, this is all very well for Jairus and, his, and this lady. And it's all many years ago. But is it real now? Well, I can say to you from experience. And many of you will have experiences. I understand what it is to face disappointment of failing your A-levels as a young person, not knowing where the next step is and how the Lord stepped in. I understand what it's like to go to a new job situation, join the place, go into a depot full of men that you've never seen in your life, not sure how to take a stand, how the Lord intervened. I can tell you as a married man, moving from Fermanagh to Newton Arts, a wee bit of a gap not knowing anybody, how the Lord undertook with the house that we went to. I can help you understand that as teenagers, as kids grow up and go into teens, I can tell you that there are real problem times ahead. I can tell you how the Lord undertook for us. I can tell you how it was for one of my kids going through an adoption process and all the bits and pieces that go through that, how the Lord intervened. I can tell you as an adult, um, being a Land Rover that was blown up 
and dealing with the mental side of that. I can tell you what it, uh, how the Lord intervened there. I can tell you how he interviewed when I went through a period of stress, stroke, depression because of overwork. I can tell you how the Lord undertook. I can tell you how the Lord undertook in the, the death of my sister. I can tell you how he stepped in. I can tell you as a son, dealing with parents who are getting elderly, one in particular with Alzheimer's, I can tell you how the Lord undertakes. Listen, this is life. It's full of ups and downs. You can't live it by yourself. And you've got to be honest with yourself and think, who do I trust? Who do I confide in? Who can I talk to when, we're going, when you're going through this time? Northern Ireland people, we never tell the truth. You're never really quite sure who your friend is until you've got in a tight corner and you find they've helped you out and they're few and far between. The Lord has never let me down. I'm not talking to you here from theory. I'm telling you that the Lord is interested in you as an individual. He will help you in every situation in life. He hears, he sees, he's sensitive, he's tender. All of those things. He's powerful, he's practical, he's unbelievable. But you know what? Not only did he die on a cross, but he rose again. And the Bible tells us that he's the first of all who will rise again. There's no fear in death here because we know we're going to meet the Jesus that has helped us through every step of our ups and downs in life. And our prayer here, my prayer here is tonight that if you don't know the Lord Jesus, that you'll find him tonight, that he'll speak to you and you'll put your trust in him. I'm saying to you, those who are believers, you're going to get ups and downs in life. But you've got to trust the Lord who will undertake in every situation. This is a family service. I've brushed over the things that, that have been in my life at different times. Two things you need to know about it from Adam Man. Number one, they never refuse a cup of tea. Two, they always talk. They can talk from now to doomsday. There's tea after this meeting. I'm not going anywhere. If I can help in any way with either the experiences I've been through in life or in the fact whether you're, that you're seeking the Lord for salvation, I'm not going anywhere. If I can be of any help, I will do so. And I hope and pray that I will be of help to you. Let's just pray for a Just want to thank and praise you, Lord, for the great God that you are. Thank and praise you that you prove yourself over and over again in life. We understand that life's not easy. It's not simple. It's full of ups and downs. But we thank and praise you, Lord Jesus, that you're interested in us individually. You're interested in our individual situation. You have no ulterior motive in dealing with us. You just want the best for us and you want to be in a relationship with us. And I pray, Lord, if there's any here tonight who don't know you, that you'll speak to them, that you'll speak into their hearts and that you'd save them and bring them to yourself. And for others that are going through difficult times in their life, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them, that you give them clear guidance in the situation they're in. And I pray, Lord, that you'll prove yourself again and again. Thank and praise you for the great God that you are. Thank and praise you that you're sensitive to all our needs. You're tender. You hear us. You love us. You see us. You're all powerful and can intervene in all situations. And you're so practical in the everyday things of life. And I pray, Lord, that you just help all of us here to take that on board tonight. Let's just ask in your name. Amen.